0: Well, welcome back to ESPN Scrum Reset for another week. It's Sam Bruce in the host chair, joined as ever by Christy Doran. The two of us back from an enjoyable weekend in Melbourne. Uh, Marvellous weather down there, unseasonably warm, you'd have to say, Christy. And a couple of games of the AFL for you, one for me on on Friday night. And and a shout out to the gentleman who came up and introduced himself uh, in the members there on Friday night, telling us how much he enjoyed the podcast. Um, Sadly, we may have had one or too many two beers at that point to remember your name, but great uh, to have you on board and hope you've come back for another edition despite what happens at the MCG a night later when, of course, uh, the All Blacks continue their Bledisloe Cup dominance 38-7. Christy, I guess just more of what we've come to expect from this fixture.
1: Yeah. Brucey, did you expect anything different? I just thought that there was always a sense of inevitability about the result. But there were actually moments throughout the game we thought, okay, they're actually making a fist of it, which yes, they were in the contest right the way through to the very last second against Argentina. Not the case against South Africa earlier, but there was a, a nice um, shape to the Wallabies' uh, attack, I thought, at times. They certainly took it to the All Blacks. They defended in that first half pretty gallantly, even to the last moment where they conceded at halftime to Will Jordan. It was about 30 phases that they had to concede because, of course, they, they, uh, they held up uh, one of the All Blacks over over the try line and then had a, another kick restart, and it all starts again. I think it was about 30 phases, which... All Blacks, well, besides the past, might have conceded it a bit earlier. And they would have probably, um, uh, you know, the All Blacks would have found their way through. So I, I actually thought there were some pleasing moments of it without ever thinking that the
0: Wallabies were going to win that game. Yeah, I agree. I kind of went in, uh, may have even said it on this pod last week, probably around a 10 to 15 point margin. I thought the the All Blacks would win by and certainly repeated that again on, on Center on, on Saturday morning. Um it's just weighing up those good bits though against the I guess the inherent issues of this team right we you mentioned there um the defense that at that point uh 125 down that try obviously right on half time but Jordan was was a dagger blow to go out to 197 at that point in time um but before that right like you you you're right in saying that there was the a bit of fluency in their attack no doubt about it and that's certainly the I'm talking to people at the office today. Um, that was evident, I think, from for everyone out there that as opposed to the the first couple of games, they they seem to all be on the same page in terms of how they were trying to play the game and, and open up the All Blacks. And, and they did on a couple of occasions. But, I mean, it, it just comes back to, you know, cards. And you've got some great yellow and uh, yellow card stats to come uh, shortly. But, um, I mean, four tries, uh, 26 points in total, um, when the 20 minute period with well, Marika Korumbete and um, Taniella Tupu were off the field, um, it really just says it all, right? Like it's hard enough to beat the All Blacks when you've got 15 on 15, but you go down to 14 on 15 um, and your job gets infinitely tougher.
1: Yeah, I'll, I'll go through a couple of stats to begin with, I think, and then we'll talk a little bit about the big moments of the game and when we're seeing re- reoccurring scenes. But you know, let's begin with third time it's so i think one of the first times ever they've conceded 30 points or more in a test for more than a century like they are they are conceding too many points and if you and if you see how you know it's the sixth straight time against new zealand uh which equals a uh, uh you know the previous time underneath greg smith um 95 to 97 uh but one of the key stats 20 cards in the past 17 tests. since the start of 2022. There's been 17, uh, 20 cards and 17 tests. Like that's just way too many. And 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 28 in the past, 24 tests. It's it's a short, an extraordinary, high number. And you can really tell that it's 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 in short passages of play where the wallabies are shooting themselves in the foot. Now there there were moments to go. Okay, we well, have clearly seen where the Test match has been won or lost. And and the All Blacks are the best team in the, in the world of taking advantage is of, of, of periods. When teams put their, take their foot off the gas, the All Blacks explode. We saw it against South Africa a couple of weeks earlier. Uh, we saw it against Argentina where they're scoring tries from the Yomisou. That didn't happen on the weekend. Uh, of course, a great shot from Scott Barrett, for force and error from Ted McDermott. We'll get to that in a moment. That was a great shot. Uh Really set the tone. But you, you think about the, the 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 struggles that Carter Gordon had with his general play uh as well as from from restarts. Uh, that's not a surprise. We saw Carter Gordon struggle throughout the year in Super Rugby with boot to ball, uh, but you look at the the series of unfortunate events from conceding a, a try from Cody Taylor from a rolling ball to not going the 10 metres to then a devastating blow to Alan al another thing that we'll talk about more later on. But you, you concede that try the minutes before half time, so crucial against the All Blacks. But then, strangely enough, the Walbys dominated all the possession and territory for the first 10 to 15 minutes of that second half but came away with nothing, a donut there. And if if, you, if they managed to score and there was a couple of clear opportunities, you've got Jordan Walisi that's held up, um, Carter Gordon, uh, Tate McDermott's cut out Carter Gordon and gone straight to Samu Karebi. Uh, and he's held up just sort of uh, over the line as well. You know, if he manages to pass to Carter Gordon, it's a simple square up for the line for Samu Karebi. He, he goes straight over. Uh, those sorts of missed opportunities proved so so significant for them because nineteen seven should have become 1912 or 14, and they're right back in it. And you could have been, you would have been able to feel not only the the wallabies grow a foot, but also the all blacks sinking. Okay, where we've got to be right on our accuracy's got to be on. As soon as they managed to disrupt the wallabies more and bring it down, you knew that that was game set match. You don't get more than one or two opportunities against. World-class opposition. It's the Wallabies had three or four. They took nothing. Uh, and and just a, another clumsy moment from Taniela Tupo. Yes, he was injured, but how many players have played injured throughout their careers? A lot. A lot of players. And that's a clumsy moment from Taniela Tupo not to get lower. And I know, yes, he's playing injured, but that happens on the regular. You know, There's players that have been told as well that have got cartilage issues currently in the Wallabies. Still playing, still playing, still giving it their all. Uh, that's, you know, people have laid the boot kick into, into Eddie Jones for not replacing Tania Tupou earlier. But, like, these are guys who uh, put their bodies through the ringer every single time that they take the field. You don't just expect it and you
0: don't hope it. But that's actually, unfortunately, the realities of playing international rugby. Yeah, well summed up. Um, it was about 17 minutes actually worth of possession there. They had immediately after halftime, I watched it um, while waiting for my flight back uh, yesterday afternoon. And you're right, it wasn't just one or two opportunity. It was three or four and probably even five. I mean, Richie Morgan missed touch there as well and gave them one last roll of the dice. And I think there was two rolling mauls that were brought down. The third that obviously they moved quickly and um, was was turned over by a, a very strong... Uh, Arty Sevilla steal that got the decision from from Wayne Barnes, who probably gave a lesson in how to referee a, a game of rugby. Uh, and well done, as we we said to him last week, and how he controlled things. Um, but you're right from right from the outset of that half, Will Skelton gets a steal at a breakdown, and they go on the attack, and they've got 17 minutes of sustained pressure and field position, um, and possession, and they just can't do anything with it. You're right, Karevi. Probably got the closest of all, but it always felt that that was a bond opportunity. Um, even if you, you get the ball to Marika Korambetti there, I think was outside him. Um, you back him probably to score in that corner. Um, you know, the All Blacks defence was was no doubt resolute, but um, you just got to make that that pressure and that field position count, and they didn't. And then, of course, as you mentioned, Tuba gets the yellow card. The All Blacks get one opportunity, one opportunity, a nice long kick, uh, they throw long to Geordie Barrett, come back down the short side. Um, Aaron Smith makes a little dart, and then next phase, Caleb Clark picks up from the base of the ruck, pick and go, and scores. It's just, it shows the absolute gulf between the two teams.
1: Yeah, and the smarts. And if you look at who they targeted from that that line out, Quade 99% Quade Cooper, it's so a long over the top to Geordie Barrett, who runs straight. straight at him. And, and unfortunately... You know, i was criticized yesterday for calling Quade Cooper uh, a, a passive tackler. You know, he's not a tackler that's going to drive an opposition back, particularly uh, one of those backs. Uh, Jordy Barrett's a, a big buyer. It's not a small 12 by any stretch of imagination, but he gives up most tackles three to four meters. And you know what? That is a huge, huge amount of international revenue because it just allows momentum, quick turn, a um, uh, quick recycle. And if you compare it, you know it kind of that footage there. You look at how South Africa targeted Michael Hooper a few weeks earlier in Pretoria. Uh, they often went to that that Michael Hooper channel using their bigger back rollers, particularly or or it was a uh, Andre Esterhausen who did it really well. Similar sort of principle there with Quade. Uh, and they're the little things that you go, that's rugby smarts, a, a team that
0: knows exactly what they're doing at every second of the game. Spot on, spot on. And I mean, you talk about first half chances. I mean, you and I were talking about this with Ian Payton as we were walking out of the stadium. Um, only about five or six people left in the whole joint when we rolled out, I think about uh, quarter to past one. Um, and that break in the first half, uh, Patai gets a great offload away inside to to Andrew Kellaway. Um, he's into the backfield, got a bit of space, and Mark Nwonginawasi is unmarked out to the right. Um, there was someone between them, um, but I still think he probably takes that pass yeah, and goes away uh, to uh, still. Uh,
1: was, yeah, on I mean the inside. But you could see the arm that Nwonginawasi was calling for it, and there might have even been someone inside of LLA who was pointing out, I think it might have been McDermott, that was pointing to Marky Mark on the right wing. That was a chance. There were several chances, weren't there? You think about the, the chip kick from Quade Cooper to, to Kellaway or the, the barnstorming run from Angus Bell. Like These are late chances where you're really just putting some extra points on the scoreboard. But there were moments right the ways
0: through the 80 minutes that they just weren't able to take. And they, they had the All Blacks on the back foot. And Ian Foster admitted that in the post-match press conference, didn't he? He said, look, uh, on the balance of things, I think Australia probably had the the better of the certainly the first quarter and, and probably right up until that point when Marika was, was Sinbin. The All Blacks were obviously on the attack at, at that point and, and perhaps a tad fortunate to get that decision as it played out with Talia of course butchering the tap kick and then coming back and then giving the opportunity to to Sinbin Betty Now I we'll never know whether he was going to Sinbin Betty anyway but um from then on as we said it was it was bang and then bang again just on the, the stroke of half time and you know, despite the even the possession and field position that had after the break, that it was always going to be long odds to come back from it. So, uh, I mean, is that then, Christy, where you see you feel that there is some justification in in Eddie Jones talking around some some green shoots? You know that that there is this team is heading in the the right direction. We all know they're zero and three, conceded what thirty points again um defensively and maybe some questions around just what brett hodgson is doing defensively um or is it just rubbish from eddie that um it's a stopgap um trying to deflect um and this team is is, is in, in no shape ahead of the world cup whatsoever I oh, look i think that if
1: if dave let's just say if dave ernie was still in charge we, we may have and we say we australia may have recorded one out of three victories is most likely you look through the history the Wolves have never won at Pretoria so the idea of Australia being two or three out of three or three out of three it just wouldn't have happened so David' Rennie's winning percentage would have probably stayed around the same which is what he finished up with, or was
0: it 38% I think 37 uh, 38 yep
1: yeah uh so, so Eddie Jones and he, and he made mention of it actually at his team announcement. And, and maybe we touch upon the selections later on. We certainly were looking forward to it. But, but he, you know, he, he, he said it. look, we've, we've got to concentrate on the here and now, but we've also got to concentrate on the World Cup, which is just a, a you know, it's now only about five weeks away before the Wallabies' first game against Georgia. But I, 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 I don't look at these and go, you know, 0-3, and three, they're out of it uh, by any stretch of the imagination. You know, I mean, I guess two nations that have won six World Cups between South Africa and New Zealand. Let's not forget that. So whilst everyone's looking up at the north and going, "How have good Scotland, they're ranked fifth and so forth. Like, I think we need to put that into perspective. Wallabies beat Scotland last year. probably shouldn't have. dated That you know, a missed penalty right at the end, which would have seen the Wallabies lose. But it's very little bit between all these sides. Uh, I like the fact that he's turned to a bit of youth. That he's given opportunities to take Dermott to Carter Gordon, and I still think he should be more or less sticking to them. Particularly someone like a Carter Gordon. There's, I can't see the the lose and. and can't see there not to be a reason to pick Carter Gordon this weekend because uh, he's a guy that's going to grow. He's 22. You uh, he can understand. Like, the Wallabies, 38-7. There's been a lot of sides that have been pumped more than that. And actually, it was asked and put to Eddie following the game. You, he said, well, Hammond, mate, back in 2003. They got beaten 50-21 a Wolby side of 2003. Yeah. when One of the golden teams. Remember it well. Hammond. On on Sydney soil. So of course a few months later they go on to win uh, a semi-final against New Zealand. So yes there's some good shape, yes there's some emerging talent. I thought the forward pack were were good without being outstanding. Uh, I thought Angus Bell was brilliant with ball carrying so good to see him back. I thought Will Skelton had a fantastic first half hour uh, on both sides of the ball. Uh, Karevi's getting there, he's not quite there yet, but he's getting there. I thought Jordan Battire offered some spark. We know what he has to offer uh, with ball in hand. Uh, I would hope that he doesn't just gift possession away like he did with a couple of kicks uh, in both halves, but there was a settling influence with Andrew Callaway at fullback. He didn't think that they were about to implode, uh, which is at times how he might've felt with the Wallabies, with Tom Wright being there. Um well, the one question I'd ask you is is, is about Tate McDermott. I love Woody Governors in terms of the pace, the bounce, the ability to keep the rack and those around the rack um guessing and at times on the heel, but but his service does remain an issue, doesn't it? Um his, his pass remains an issue. Uh no specialist goal kicker there without uh Quaid um at ten or someone further out in the in the backs. I, I'd love to see Ryan Monning can get an opportunity this weekend to start take off the bench. I just think that he's got the best pass in Australia, but secondly, he's a goal kicker. Um, I think it would be a perfect opportunity to 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 have him make his debut. Where do you see the 9-10 situation? Because, of course,
0: that's that's a big question moving forward, isn't it? It is, it is. And, you know, considering what we, we know what's going on at... um tight head prop um look uh I, I agree i thought tate was busy i like the energy around the breakdown um he had a couple of darts didn't actually get through but certainly asked some questions of the all blacks fringe defense but it's just the uh, it's the accuracy and the execution of his pass and things are a little bit untidy there at times and um i think he probably got away with it on the whole. the other night there was a couple of hospital um harbour bridge style balls that weren't all that um, badly pressured by the All Blacks, so the, the Wallabies um, weren't, uh, weren't driven into the ground a bit like Tate was himself from the opening line-out um, of the match. But you've got to like that the edge that he brings um, and the goal-kicking element with Ryan Lonnigan is is the interesting one, isn't it? Because you and I spoke in the lead-up around, um, had to dig in and, and just see how much goal-kicking that Carter Gordon had done this year, and it was very little. We know Reese Hodge kicked for the Rebels throughout Super Rugby, Pacific. Um, He missed that goal from right in front. You just think too what that would have done to go out to 10-5 there. Um, Another three points um, reward for the pressure that they had on at that point would have been huge. So that was a bad miss. Um, Failed to to find touch on another occasion. The restart, as you mentioned, and a couple of midfield bombs that were pretty ordinary that barely went sort of five or six meters. So um, that's the big concern with Carter. I don't hate your Ryan Lonigan suggestion. Um, I, I figure at this point, um, you know, you've had him in the squad. So if you're not giving the run of question that we've kind of made with point we've raised with both, or well, I guess Ben Donaldson really, um, that if you're not going to have a look at him, then then what's the point? So um, I don't know whether he will. Um, I wouldn't mind betting that he might go back to Nick White this week, but I would certainly stick with with Carter Gordon despite those things. I think kicking is something that he can put a lot of time and effort to before and after training to get that better. Um, working with Quay, working with the, the skills coaches, whoever, um, it certainly needs to improve. Uh, but um, just in the in the way that he kind of had the Wallabies um, playing, and a lot of that too was from the forwards. The forwards were winning that um, that physicality, that those collisions up front. Were they through that period, uh, and just getting the getting the backs that a little bit sort of one or two extra yards of, of space to to work in. So um, I guess I'll come back to you, Christy, and a lot of discussion post-match around the performance of, of Tom Hooper. Um, it seemed to be a real uh, one that really divided opinion. Um, 35 tackles, which is just immense um, in a game of, of Test Rugby. Five misses, admittedly. Uh, certainly a steal that resulted in a, a penalty Um from Wayne Barnes, I think when when one of the All Blacks didn't roll away following his steal, he was busy, he was physical, um, and I think he deserves another crack in the number seven jersey. Yeah, interesting. Oh,
1: I thought there's a bit about him. There's no doubt about that. I wouldn't mind him at six, I, and I would have Fraser McRae at seven at this point in time. Um, I think a, a fast deck in Dunedin too. I think we've probably missed Fraser a little bit. We we even see a huge amount of Tom Cooper carry him, and that's something that he's not bad and he's going to get better. He's 22. He's going to get stronger. His bones are going to get stronger. Um, uh, but oh, I like that he he gets stuck in. It was interesting. We just spoke to him a short time ago on a on a Zoom presser as well, where where Quade Cooper spoke to him at halftime and so, said, "Mate, we need to play more like, lock. a you, You're going in there, but you're not really having any effect." And and, and some of the feedback, I don't know if this has been a feedback shared from the coaching team or just a couple of players thinking, you know, maybe a, a tweet here or two. But he, he said that I probably didn't quite get my timing right and probably went a little bit too much. And that's what's going to happen when you're wearing a seven jersey that you've pretty much never worn before, isn't it? So, uh that's Where I'd go, I'd go for Fraser McGraw. I like Tom Hooper at six, he's good at the line out. I, I don't know if we saw enough from Jed Holloway. I thought he was a bit quiet, um, uh, but I like the work rate from Tom Hooper and I just love his attitude as well. I, I think he's, he's a country lad that you just love that we've probably missed a little bit as well. Um, uh, to me, though, coming out of it, this feeling that I've had for the last day or so is. Is around the number three position at Tidehead. I don't think we can understate how significant the loss of Alan Allotar is at Tidehead. A guy that has not only huge work rate but holds up his own. Generally speaking, at in the scrum, real anchor there. And and given that Taniela Tupou is not one hundred percent himself, uh, with some a uh, rib complaint or cartilage issue. That's a, a catastrophic blow for Wallabies World Cup hopes because you can't go to a World Cup and win and really, really challenge without strong, tight heads. And you think about the guys that have just been drafted into the squad young blokes, 21, 22, uh, guys with only one or two seasons of professional experience, Tom Lamb, but more of a loose head. Uh, he can play both sides. Uh, and and Zayn Nongal, who we saw probably struggle in South Africa and Pretoria on debut. And that's, that's to be expected. So if you're missing both Taniella and, and Alan this weekend, uh, oh, wow. Like there's some serious issues and it draws into question around Australian rugby, the depth, the priorities, because you look at some of the players that are playing in Western force and Santiago Medrano, good, not a bad player, but he's an Argentinian. And, that's one of five spots that's a, a starting tight ahead position in, in Australia that's going to a, a player that can't pay for the Wallabies. So, those key areas we've really got to be looking at because it, it is a very, very weak spot without a couple of guys that are paid, between the two of them,
0: $2 bucks a season now. be interesting to see if there's a switch for James Slipper across to the tight end side. Certainly, he's less favoured side of the scrum. Um, but I guess that would accommodate uh, keeping Angus Bell and that starting team, which which has got to happen, right? That was for a bloke who's played, I don't know, a little more than probably what, half a dozen games in the last 12 to 18 months to come back, um, first come off the bench in Sydney against the Permas and then what he did the other night. And, and this is a bloke who you and I saw, what, probably about an hour, maybe a little bit longer after full-time, deep within the confines of the MCG and was just utterly gutted and destroyed and battered and bruised. Fronted up for media alongside Samu Karevi. Both guys absolutely just heartbroken with uh, the result, clearly. Um, Samu could barely bend down and pick up his backpack. He was in that much physical pain, I think, just from the the physicality, rather, of the contest. But I don't think you can understate Angus Bell's game the other night. He just seems to be able to bend that gain line, at the very least, on almost every occasion, he carries the ball and then his break there and what was it? Probably the, I don't know, the last 10 minutes. Um, He looked like for a long while he was going to go all the way. Um, So to have that speed and that fitness on, still on the comeback trail, admittedly had been um, kind of stuffed around a little bit with the confusion around Yellow Tupu's injury and then the card he was on, he was off. Um, I just thought that was a phenomenal effort from him on on Saturday night.
1: I, I could, and I couldn't say it better. Look, I, I gave him an eight and a half in my player ratings. And, and you don't just do that from what he does with the ball and his damaging ability. Look, I think he carried the ball three times in the first six minutes. And we saw what he was doing, you know, the line break from a lovely easy Parisi ball in the 70th minute. But even in the 81st minute, he's still managing to charge forward and get well over the game line. He, he, was, he was brilliant from start to finish. The scrum issues weren't necessarily on his side either. We know what was happening with on the tight hand side that uh the collapse there, um, with, with Alan unfortunately going down. And Angus spoke about you know the, the horror scenes and the horror sounds that those sorts of things make. Um, but even shortly afterwards, with too, though, and you saw that when he was struggling a little bit, he didn't quite have that same shit that he engages generally speaking with. So, great performance. You're right that it does allow for you to keep Angus Bell, but, but I don't think we necessarily want to be overworking him either. You look at some of the guys that have got injured. And and unfortunately, like I don't know if there's a trend here, I'm certainly not a physio or doctor, but um uh, Alan Alatoa, calf injury right at the end of May, and he's come back and he's played significant minutes for the Wallabies in the last three test matches. played Cooper last year, uh calf injury against England in the warm up. He, he comes back to take on Argentina, uh, Achilles injury. Uh, there seems like there's some form of either load issue or they're getting pushed too much. And this, once again, probably comes back to depth. That, you know, you're not getting necessarily brought back in by Club Rugby or or, or a third tier or indeed, you know, the Super Rugby. You're coming back in in the pressure environments of wallabies Test Match Rugby. And I don't know if that's necessarily always the best way of where you want to be making your comebacks. You know, once again, Jordan tire I know it's a wrist injury, but, uh, but you know, straight back into the thick of things. Uh, Andrew Kellaway, hamstring injury, straight back into the thick of things. Like, yes, there is some some depth when you consider guys like Tom Wright have been axed, but wow, like it doesn't leave too much that if you lose a couple of guys,
0: then all of a sudden you just don't have that depth, do you? It's a good segue too, because there was a, a quite a big revelation from Eddie Jones in the, the post-match presser again, around Michael Hooper. Um, now initially we thought, yep, would miss Bledisloe one, and it would probably be right after that. But, um, this calf injury and calf injuries are a pretty big topic in Australian sport right now with with Sam Kerr and the Matildas to go around tonight. And Buddy Franklin, I think has had issues with his calf injury for the Swans this year, and he's just announced his retirement effective immediately. As well. So it's the um it's the buzz injury if you like in Australian sport right now. But Eddie revealing that that hoops was fairly a long way off, right? And then was asked around can you afford to take injured players or players that will return perhaps later in the tournament? Now and given everything you've just said around load issues and, and players coming back too soon and potentially suffering other injuries, it's a really tricky situation, isn't it? Then around Michael Hoover. Now, the fact that we know for sure that this is far more serious probably than we first thought or certainly first were told. Um, Lenny Ketow's in the same boat, um, was going to be kind of back from his broken um, shoulder blade there uh, right around the kickoff of the, the tournament against uh, Georgia for the Wallabies. There are a couple of big decisions to be made there around whether you can afford to take these guys to the World Cup knowing that they're going to be short a run, knowing the history around players returning potentially too soon after injuries. Um, and calves, we know they could be particularly tricky rehab wise. So, um, there are a couple of massive calls that Eddie's probably going to have to make in the next 10 days. Yeah. You
1: know we've been talking about it a while, haven't we, whether or not Mark Hooper gets on that plane. and I, the, You hear some of the wording, you know, I picked up on it and I asked. Eddie on Saturday night, I said you have just made mention of the word the future. You know, how much of the selection around this team was the future, looking at the future, you know, beyond this week and the Bladers Cup. And 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 then had a follow up question around do you need to bid farewell to a few players that have been there for a long, long time that have had um you know, that have had a fair few scars from as many later low defeats and other defeats as what someone like a Michael Hooper might have had now I didn't necessarily make mention of his name but he said look look, that could be a factor and you just wonder is this a sliding doors moment that allows Eddie Jones to potentially make a big call because you're right to say uh, Michael Hooper, Lenny Katow, that already goes from a 33 to a 31 person, you get one or two more injuries in the lead up to the, the first game or a head knock or two and all of a sudden your squad is severely depleted uh, when you haven't even reached the quarterfinal final stage so yep some massive calls around the corner one more match I think we're we're leaning towards seeing a Wallaby squad named around the 10th of August which is a few days uh, following the test in Dunedin and earlier kickoff of course uh, midday, I think, around Australian Eastern Standard, uh, we will hope that there's no more injuries from both New Zealand and Australia. You don't want anyone getting injured, particularly this close to a World Cup campaign. Uh, but but it's an, unfortunately an inevitable
0: part of contact sport, particularly in the current day and age. Certainly is. Certainly is. A uh, 12.30 kickoff from Dead Eden this weekend. So, uh, yeah, perfect for a spot of lunch and a couple of beers for those of you will be uh, enjoying yourself this weekend. Um, I, I guess before we wrap up, Christy, a, a word on the All Blacks. Um, and, and I guess just the rise of Scott Barrett in particular. Um, having a phenomenal season, uh, captained the Crusaders to yet another title. Um, has been playing the house down um, right from the outset. We mentioned the hit on Tate McDermott. And, and say what you will about the stupidity of playing off the top ball there from the Wallabies and the mind boggles. Um, But just his awareness, um, the execution of the tackle. uh, And then from then on, he's just, he's everywhere. Right Do you get, you know, that uh, when the All Blacks are really coming there after um, Tupu's sin bidding. And you see him ranging out by that left touchline, stepping in and out of defenders, the big basketball pass across the top. Um, He was winding Nick wide up on the floor, giving him the big shush across the lips there at, at one point. Um, this is a guy really at the top of his game at the moment, isn't he? I, I think he's the best Barrett of the lot um, on current form. Um, he's gone past Sam Whitelock uh, into that. I think he's probably the, the pick of the three All Blacks second rowers at the moment. Retallick, Brodie, I saw actually fell off sort of two or three tackles the other night. Um, he's in the form of his career, isn't he?
1: Yeah, I don't think big, bad Brodie is quite the player he was four or five years ago, but that's completely understandable, isn't it? And it's their last... It's the last dance, I suppose, for some priority you know, for Sam Whitelock. Both I think heading overseas for i might be joining up with Dave Rennie again at, at Kobe. Ben. Yeah, and of course, Whitlock off too. I think. Oh in, no. In yeah. So, oh look, he's he he's been brilliant, and you understand the uh the the rich pedigree that he's held in over there because to be passing. Sam Whitelock at this stage of a World Cup cycle is huge, but he's been captain of the Crusaders for a number of years now, taking over that responsibility from Whitelock. Uh, He's a phenomenal player. And that brutality, the timing, the awareness from Barrett to do that in the third minute of the game on Tate McDermott, McDermott just set the tone and, and, but it was interesting, a couple of shushes he gave Nick White, but it was just, you know, once again, timing. It was probably a bit high on Nick White, that first one, around the neck. And, and another day, that might get pulled up. But that's the sort of thing Richie, Richie McCord did so well, wasn't it? Just the game smarts around when and where to do these sorts of things and how far to push the legendar. Um Great game, great game. And I thought... Uh, you know, Will Jordan, the, the Roman smarts that he provides, reaching the line just the maturity, his decision. Uh, he is in the form of his life, the his international career, seven or eight Super A-B titles later. You just see how phenomenal he is as, as a 10. And, and, you know, 2019 things didn't go to plan, did it with Mawanga at 10 and Bodie Barrett at 15, but it's taken this long years and years in the making to get the All Blacks where they are right now which is seemingly in a really really purple, purple patch but this isn't a having Carter Gordon and these sorts of players in there they're not going to be well beaters overnight and I made a mention that in my story straight week Johnny Wilkinson beating 76-0 on his starting debut and a week later when he's playing the All Blacks they get put 60 points on them as well and they lose heavily so You can't expect results overnight. And the important thing is rugby Australia's got to be crystal clear around the strategic thinking and everyone's got to be aligned around what direction they're going in because it won't just happen overnight and it'll be fascinating to see selection this weekend.
0: Sure will, sure will. And uh, just a final word on Barrett. Ian Foster said he gave him him nine out of ten but only because giving him 10 out of 10 might result in uh, in Scooter having a, a lazy week. So it um, just shows you uh, the kind of uh, performances he's turning up at the moment. Um, but we will see what happens uh, in Dunedin on Saturday. I think, you know, the Wallabies, they need some sort of response. I don't think anyone will uh, go across there thinking they're going to, well, certainly outside the squad, go across there and, and going, to, going to win it this weekend. There'll probably be a few All Blacks changes you would imagine. A couple of the guys in that squad yet to be used. Leicester Fanganukgu and Dallas McLeod It was the surprise selection in that wider squad. Um, maybe a change there in the, the back row. You think Sam Kane will come back. Um, uh, you would think that the locks might get a bit of a freshen up as well. So um, we will see what happens there. The other game, Christy, um, Springboks in Argentina, 22-21 in favour of the Springboks, um, look, uh, not a great game this one uh, and one that had a probably the most controversial start we've seen in a test match for quite some time. Uh, 10, 11 seconds, the halfback Grant Williams takes the kickoff and goes to clear and Juan Cruz Malia, uh, the Argentine fullback, comes through, attempts the charge down, makes the charge down, but then absolutely catches Williams flush uh, with his hip when he's turning his body in the head. He's out cold um the incident however ruled a uh unavoidable rugby incident um now i think you and i've got differing opinions on this um certainly you know i think mine has changed over time with with how this kind of thing has been ruled but and that's you know all we want is in terms of uh consistency um i thought it was a red card or certainly a yellow card and then having the opportunity to review it between the the tmo um and the ref but instead uh Argentina got a penalty for, for holding on to the breakdown. Um, and uh, Malia uh, got nothing. He has, however, on, on Monday morning then been cited um, by the Sanzar signing commissioner, having met the the, uh, the red card threshold for foul play with the um, the line that, yes, no player should do anything that is reckless or in danger another opposition player. And that's how exactly how I saw it. I've, I've got a problem with players uh, jumping into the air, no matter what, if they even make affect the charge down um, but then if they collect someone in the head um, I think you would do so at your own risk and you should pay the consequences yeah this would be
1: fascinating to see what the, uh, the judiciary finds or whether or not he's guilty because if he's guilty he's, he's copping quite a long suspension that might put his own World Cup uh, ambitions in doubt well, I think the important thing is consistency and, and that's why it's really crucial that whatever happens with this l- ruling, that it's officiated the same way throughout the World Cup. Because I, I agree, on first glance, yeah. it goes, oh, geez, that's extremely ugly. He's lucky that he gets a hand on it. Now, if it indeed is the law is applied that you've, you've, you've charged it down, it doesn't really matter what happens um, outside of that, then we've got to have that explained, don't we? Because... Yeah, at the moment, it looks very, very murky and a and ref on another day or in another city probably does rule that red or uh, certainly a, an off-field uh, yellow, off-field red challenge. So, well, I, look, I don't have a strong opinion on it either way just yet because I'm curious to see what way it goes and how it's applied, but Initially, when I think he's, well, he's actually got the ball, you go, well, that does seem like a, a rugby incident. He's, he's managed to affect a the you Now It's really unfortunate that he's also collided with him. That's my initial take, but I can certainly understand why it, it would be cited. And, and I think it's actually a good thing that it has been cited as long as we get
0: clear clarity out of it and firm application of that law going forward. Yeah, if you haven't seen it, um, worth a look and, and make your own mind up on it. Um, I think certainly the one that, that came to memory for me immediately was Caleb Clark against Minor Pacifica for the Blues last year. Uh, down the touchline, a chip went over his head. He went the charge down, came through, and almost in the exact same situation, his hip caught the, uh, the minor Pacifica. Um, winger's name, uh, sorry, winger whose name escapes me at the moment. Um, he got three weeks for that, and that was really a hotly debated topic. I think in Super Rugby at that time. Uh, I think it, as you know, fate would have it, it was about a 16 weeks total suspension was dished out across the competition that weekend. So it proved a real flashpoint in terms of how things were being ruled. And and to bring it back to consistency again, is that yeah, it's in a weird way, it's probably a good thing that this has happened now, right? So we get to the World Cup. And we have an absolute line in the sand, a precedent ruling that says, yep, this was a red card, even if it wasn't officiated at the time. It's six weeks reckless, um, cut down from there to three weeks or whatever they get for good, clean records and the early guilty plea. And then we know that 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 is absolutely the decision going forward.
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah. And now that we're on the subject of some of the refereeing, we won't harp on it too much. I thought Wayne Barnes was good on the weekend or... Uh, it allowed the game to flow, but it was much easier to watch, probably as a neutral There It wasn't any kind of moments where it was completely bogged down and relentless nitpicking at the breakdown, but it was probably generous in a Australian flavour. Yeah, I don't know if Wayne Barnes should have been able to give a yellow to Marika Corabetti in the end. Uh, he'd allowed it basically to go on without seeing the yellow immediately. It was certainly yellow, no question about that, but either would have thought by playing on at that particular moment you can't then go back retrospectively and then give out another one it's not uh it's not you know foul play uh sorry it's not you know he's not being injured and he's you know he's picking up some uh foul play there uh, the the one with that that also was interesting was summer karevi when he was penalized for jumping in the air now whether or not he's in a realistic position to touch it um or if it was too late his decision to jump in the air he didn't actually move off his mark or, you know move sideways and Bodie Barrett I think was the bloke who put the chip kick over the top he could have well and truly moved and, and dodged it uh, he's running straight into Karebi I thought that was a little bit harsh that penalty in itself certainly not the reason why Wallaby's going to lose but uh, either way it was nice to see a, a match officiated in a way that everyone can enjoy a lot more
0: and I certainly didn't have any Bearing on the overall outcome, it's a No, none, uh, none what so. Eva, uh, just quickly, Christy, where do you think the Springboks are at then? Um, we know they're defending champions. They're three-time world champions. They've got some guys coming back from injury, but we know the majority of their squad from this last World Cup is is fairly settled. Um, and they've got a number of world-class players um, from 1 to 23 and, and beyond in this 33-man squad that will... Rock up, uh, they've got obviously the power up front, the bomb squad, we all know about that. Locks galore. Um, a real kind of variety of back rowers that they can turn to depending on the opposition and how they want to play. Uh, world-class wingers and and a fullback in Willie LaRue who kind of is almost the prototype for that second playmaker at the back that works really well for them and perhaps we're starting to see that work a little bit better for the All Blacks going forward now that they've got a big ball carrier at 12. Um. Are They, where are they in your pecking order? Do you think? I, I, for me, I still have them as, as very hard to beat. And if I was asked to put 50 bucks on someone this afternoon, um, I think I'd be going with the Springboks.
1: Wouldn't so be too far behind you. Uh, the thing I love about them at the moment is that they've actually got genuine depth right across. And like it or not, with the way that Jacques Nimbe and uh, Rassi Erasmus have been uh, selecting their sides. They have been giving opportunities to ever, right across the board, splitting their squads. And they've not just done it for one or two guys; they've done it for seasons now. So I think that whoever they go with, there's not necessarily a huge drop-off. Uh, they know that they've got a big forward pack. They know that they've got big damaging centres and they've got pace out wide. They can turn in any which direction and feel confident that it will work. That's why I love them. They're not playing the best rugby they've ever played at the moment, but when you think about the nutrition, the nutritional game that rugby is at the moment, they're in a position far greater than the Wallabies are at the moment. Certainly on the scoreboard, but but secondly with their depth, and and we know that just see, you know, with with what we've been talking about with the with the real lack of depth, the Wallabies have a tight head. The, the box aren't going to be in that position going forward. And that allows them to be in a great position. It's extraordinary though that 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 the 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 the, the lopsided draw, the nature of the draw, uh, just means that unfortunately a couple of sides are going to be going home that are very very good. You think about and for me, I still have France as my my favourites, um, and you look at South Africa, you look at New Zealand. Well, only two of those three. Are, you know, that's not even bringing up Ireland and Scotland, but. Only two of those sides are coming through to the semi final. so there's going to be some very disappointed people around the world. But that's unfortunately how it is. Uh, but they're in a strong position, South Africa, and you expect them to to go really, really close once again.
0: Yeah, I've got a uh, just another test match against the Pumas actually this weekend um, as part of their warm-up uh, preparation, continuing for the World Cup. So uh, this time in Argentina, and of course, and of course, the All Blacks in it. A quick I think it is as well. Yeah. Uh, so
1: yeah, a couple of matches went up in the north. It will them, but once again, as well, you some big games right at the end.
0: And we're, we're thinking that Wallabies World Cup squad will be will be named potentially next week, um, around the tenth of August. So thanks for your time, mate. Um, feed up tonight. I know uh, it's a bit of uh, probably. Uh, Still a little bit tired from the weekend, so we don't watch too much cricket. All right, thanks all. Uh, As ever, hit us up on social media. Anything you'd like to talk about uh, week to week. Otherwise, uh, we'll be back uh, post Dunedin with another edition. Cheers. See you then.